Hey everyone, welcome to the Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is Carol Ann Flood, and I'm the worship director here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Our mission is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus your whole life, or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help you draw near to the person of Jesus, be challenged and encouraged by His Word, and be moved to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you and equip you to see who God really is and who you are in Him. I love that line, caring for the most important part of you, because that's exactly what we want to do with this series. Uh, So over the summer, what we're doing is we are looking at 12 different spiritual disciplines. So these are 12 uh, different ways that we can care for our soul, the most important part of us, and that we can deepen in our relationship with God. And all four churches in the Zero Collective, uh, this network that Frontline is a part of, uh, we are all looking at those 12 disciplines together. And so uh, last week we started the series. I'm really uh, excited um, to keep going with that. So uh, how you doing? You guys awake? Are you, are you here? Hello? It's good to see you. Truly, it is great to be back with you again. If you're watching with us online, it's great to have you with us joining in in the room as well. And we kicked off this series last week. David did an incredible job talking about prayer. And so the second spiritual discipline that we're going to look at today is the spiritual discipline of meditation. Meditation. Now, uh, what's interesting about that is when you say the word prayer, even if you're not a Christian, you kind of have an idea of what prayer is. Right? I mean, even if you don't pray, you know what prayer is. You have a sense of what prayer is. But when I say the word meditation, what pops into your head? <laughs> well, what comes into your mind when I say the word meditation? Probably all different kinds of things, right? For, for me, there is a very spe- specific memory from my childhood that pops into my head every single time I hear the word meditation. So I was a middle schooler. And my cousin and I, who are both the same age, we uh, go on an overnight camping and fishing trip with my uncle. Now, my uncle is a Buddhist. He has been for years and years and still is. That, that'll make sense in the story here in a moment. So we go on this uh, camping fishing trip. At one point, it's a beautiful afternoon. The sun's shining down on the river. And my cousin and I, we are wading into the river and we're fishing. And my, we look over and we realize my uncle has decided to join us in the river. And so about 25 feet away, there is my uncle and he is stark, completely naked. And he's standing there in the river and to our horror, he is standing there doing these like yoga moves. I mean, literally, he just looks like he's going like this. So very sorry for the visual this is painting in your head right now. Uh, but uh, he's just doing these motions. And this is a river where like people were kayaking down. I mean, like inner tubes, you know, people floating when it would go by. And so my cousin and I are just looking over like, what, what is this? Uh, some radical new way to lure fish? I mean, what is he doing? <laughs> And so later on, we get out of the water, you know, we're at the, around the campsite, and my uncle's there fully clothed uh, again. And so I say to him, Uncle Ron, what were you doing out there in the water? And he says to me, oh, Brian, I was meditating. That's what I was doing. And so every time I hear the word meditation, <laughs> that's the memory, I, that's what it conjures up for me. You can imagine my terror A few years later, when I became a Christian, and the first time someone said to me, you know, Brian, if you really want to grow in your relationship with Christ, you need to learn how to meditate on Scripture. I was terrified because I didn't want to end up 
you know, in a river naked doing yoga, you know, that's where I thought that would lead. And so I don't know what pops into your head when you hear that word meditation, that word kind of has a lot of baggage with it. Um, But what you got to understand is that when you come to most world religions, especially Eastern religions, which Buddhism is one of those, uh, meditation, when it's talked about, the idea of meditation is to empty your mind, That's what you're trying to do when you're meditating. You're trying to empty your mind and you're trying to free yourself from all earthly attachments, uh, including clothes, apparently, I guess. Uh, That's what you're trying to do. That's what Eastern meditation is. I'm, I'm emptying my mind. I'm freeing myself from all attachments. Christian meditation is kind of the exact opposite of that. What you're trying to do with Christian meditation is you are trying to actually fill your mind with the word of God. And, and, and dwell on the word of God and allow it to be the foundation of your life. That's what we're trying to do uh, when, we, when we talk about meditation on scripture, meditation from a Christian standpoint. Um, this is Psalm 119. Uh, Carol Ann and the worship team looked at uh, this psalm a little bit earlier today, uh, but this is a little bit further down in that passage. It says this, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees I will not neglect what? Your word. So that's what we're doing when we're meditating. We're dwelling deeply on the word of God. We're allowing it to be the thing that shapes us. That's what we're doing when we're meditating. Now, I know what a lot of you are thinking right now. You're thinking, well, that's great, but I don't know how to meditate. I don't know how to do that. To which I would say, yes, you do. Every single person in this room, every single person watching online right now, you absolutely do know how to meditate. If you have ever received a text message from someone that you really deeply admire, uh, maybe you even have a crush on them, and you have gone back and you have read that text from them again and again and again and again, you know exactly how to meditate. You know what that's like. If you've ever laid awake at night in your bed and you've been and you're replaying a conversation that happened earlier in the day over and over again and you're like, "Oh, when they said that, I wish I would have had the I wish I would have thought to say this and this is what I should have said." Have you ever done that? You know exactly how to meditate. Um, if you have ever received a hurtful word from someone and it became like a wound in your life. And so every idle moment or every time you, come, you have an experience in life that presses up against that wound. And it's like that hurtful, painful word that was spoken to you comes back again. And you replay it and rehash it in your mind over and over and over again. You know how to meditate. You already know how to meditate. So this morning, what, you, I, what I believe is that you guys don't need me to give you a sermon on how to meditate. You already know how to do it. You already do meditate. The real question for this morning is, how do I meditate on God's word instead of my chaos? And by chaos, I just mean your problems, your distractions, your worries, your anxieties. How do I begin to actually meditate on God's word and let God's word be the thing that replaces my chaos? All the stuff that goes on inside of my head. How do we do that? How how do we get at that? And so really the way that that we begin to understand how do we meditate on God's word, we've got to talk about our approach to God's word. How do we approach the Bible? How do we approach God's word? 
Uh, I've shared this before, but when I was a kid, my parents used to take me and my brother and sister to go visit our grandma. And I think everybody my age, uh, if you think about your grandma, I think everybody's grandma had like that little glass dish with the hard candies on it in it that sat on the coffee table. Anybody else's grandma uh, have that exact same? Yeah, like that little glass dish with the hard candies. So we would go uh, to my grandma's house and we would come in and I would see that glass dish and I would want some of that candy. And so I would say, Grammy, we called her Grammy. I say, Grammy, can I have one of those candies? And she would say, yes, Brian, you can have a piece of candy, but first you have to come over here and give me a kiss. A kiss on the lips. That's what she wanted me to do. I'm like a little kid. That's why I had to give her a kiss on the lips before I could take a piece of candy. And I swear that woman would lick her lips (laughs) before she would kiss me. I mean, it's like taking a bath. I mean, I come away like, oh, oh," you know. So So, you know, I would get the candy. I would get what I wanted. But it's like I would lose a little bit of myself in the process. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and sadly, a lot, that's how a lot of us approach the Bible. That's how we approach God's word. It's, it's almost like this sort of like kissing your grandma in order to get candy. It's like, I, I got to, you know, I want God to give me something. I want him to, to give me an answer or a blessing. Or I want him to, to give me some, you know, direction or guidance in this place in my life. And so I guess I'm going to have to endure like reading the Bible And the problem with that perspective, the problem with that approach to the Bible is you're approaching it like a transaction. It's a transaction. I put in the time with God's word and God, like a vending machine, if I get the correct change, will give me what I want, the information I want, the answer I want in the form of a a blessing, um, you know, a, a guidance, a direction. And that's how we view it a lot of times. That's how we approach the word of God. And that's not how Jesus understood meditating on scripture. Jesus had an extremely different metaphor, a different uh, image of what it meant to meditate deeply on the word of God, to dwell on it and allow it to impact your life, specifically speaking about his own words. So we're going to look at, it's not kissing your grandma to get candy. We're going to look at Jesus' image, his metaphor for how do we approach scripture? How do we begin to dwell on it? So this is Matthew chapter 7. This is at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. So this is, Jesus gives this Sermon on the Mount, this manifesto of how to follow him, how to live as a disciple of his. And at the end, he says this, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash." So the image that Jesus is working with, the metaphor that that he's working with is not, you know, the Bible is like some information and there's a transaction of information here. You know, I put in the time like kissing my grandma to get candy and and I get something out of it. Instead, Jesus, uh, this is the imagery he talks about. He talks about the word of God. Scripture has to be the very thing that you build your life on. You're either building your castle. You're either building your, your life, your house on the sand or you're building it on the rock. And what's amazing is when you begin to meditate on the Bible, when you begin to meditate on Scripture, what you begin to realize is that every word of the Bible, every sentence, every bit of it, points to one person. 
the person of Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ, when you meditate on Scripture, you begin to realize he is the true rock that we build our lives on. Jesus himself is the only secure, real foundation that we can build our house on in this world. Now, now why does that matter? Why does it matter that we understand that? And this is the main idea I want you to get as we're talking about how do we meditate on God's word. It's this, that God does not want to just inform you through his word. He wants to form you. Okay, God does not just want to inform you through his word. That's the transaction approach, like kissing your grandma to get candy, right? That's not what he wants. What God wants to do is he wants to, a- to actually form you for his word to be the very place where you build your home, the very foundation of Christ that you put your life on. That's what Jesus wants to do. That's what real meditation is. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that, that God wants to just tell you what to do in every phase of life? Uh, no. In fact, we don't like that, right? We're Americans. We don't want to be told what to do all the time in our lives. No, God doesn't want to tell you what to do in his word. What he wants to do is, what, what I'm talking about when I say he wants to form you, he wants to tell you who you are. He wants to tell you what your true identity really is in him. Your identity is who you are. That's what Jesus wants to form. That's what he wants uh, to shape in your life. Now, why is that important? That's important because for every single one of us, the rains come and the wind begins to blow and the storms of life happen and the floodwaters rise. I mean, just think about the last two years. Every single one of us is walking with a limp in one way or another in our lives because of the last couple of years and what's happened. And what happens in times like that is is you find out what your house is actually built on. You find out whether you've actually built your life on the foundation of Christ and he is your, your identity and your identity comes from him and who you are is rooted in him or whether it's on shifting sand. And this is what he invites us into. Tim Keller talks about, uh, he's done some brilliant work uh, on identity and how we obtain identity. And, and Tim Keller says this, he says, basically there are two foundational ways that people uh, seek to obtain an identity. There are two ways that the human beings attain an identity. Uh, the first one is outside in, and the second one is inside out. So to explain, uh, some people, they try to attain an identity by trying to go outside in. In other words, uh, there's a truth that I find outside of myself. And when I find that truth, what I do is I, I realign my inner world. I realign all my goals, all my expectations to try to go out and achieve that truth. So with an outside-in identity, I have to go achieve it. I have to do something to go obtain it and achieve it. An example of this would be, uh, you know, I'm nothing unless I have my PhD. I'm absolutely worthless unless I'm able to go get my PhD. There's this identity outside of myself. And so I will work, I will study, I will do everything I, I have to do, go to the best school in order to absolutely be able to lay hold of this PhD. And now I have it, that's my identity. The other uh, way that Tim Keller says that people will seek to obtain an identity is inside out. And you see this most often with uh, younger generations. This is the primary way. So what happens is, uh, you know, nobody out there is is where I'm going to find truth. I have to go within myself. So I look within myself. I discover my identity. I discover who I am and I name it. And then what I do is I fix my outward appearance. I fix my outward behaviors and my life to match that inner identity. An example of this would be the, the popular phrase, and you've all heard it, live your truth. That's an inside-out identity. 
right? It's just truth is out there. You know, I, I, can't, I, I can't know truth because it's out there. So I have to look within myself. I have to name my own identity within myself. I have to name my own truth within myself. And what Tim Keller says, is he says the problem with that, whether you have an outside-in identity or an inside-out identity, either way, no matter how you've tried to obtain an identity, those identities cannot give us what we ultimately need. They are fragile. They're too fragile. And so all of us as human beings, we suffer from this sort of identity insecurity. We don't know ultimately who we really are, and we don't really know what it means to live a good life, to live a full life, a meaningful life. Because whether it's outside in or inside out, that's an identity that can't sustain you when the winds come and the, the flood waters rise and the rains beat down. If I, if I have an identity that's based outside of myself, well, I can fail. Uh, I can disgrace myself to it. Others can take it away from me. It's too fragile to make that the core identity of who I am. In the same way, if, if my identity is based on something inside of myself that I name, uh, I still want other people to validate it. I still need other people to validate it outside of myself. Um, there's a lot of research that's been done about you know, how transgender people, they, they long for other people to call them by their personal pronouns of choice. So even though it's an identity inside of myself, I still need it to be validated outside of myself. And all I'm saying with that is it's still fragile. It's too fragile. Either way, it's too fragile of an identity to base your life on because it's insecure. It can be taken from you. It might not be validated by others. And so you can't build your life on that. What's so important to understand about that then is this. Christianity is really the only identity that is gifted rather than achieved or discovered. Christianity is totally different than any other identity that's outside in or inside out because it is gifted to us. We receive it. We don't go out and achieve it, and we don't go inside of ourselves and just name it and then look for validation outside of ourselves. In a sense, Christianity is both outside and in. If you think about it, it comes from outside of us, but we receive it. It's gifted to us, not by any merit of our own, and then it comes inside of us, and it becomes the very foundation, the very rock that we build our lives on. You see it? Jesus is that only foundation. He's the only thing that's not fragile, that's secure enough through everything that comes at us in life that we can build our life on. And you say, well, that's great, but what does that have to do with meditation? <laughs> it has everything to do with meditation. Because what we're doing when we come to Scripture and, and, and we're meditating on Scripture is we're allowing God to form us into the identity, who we are truly, our true identity in Christ. I love this verse as an example. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see what that's saying about God and about who you are? It's saying that Jesus took our broken identity that couldn't sustain us. He took that on himself on the cross so that we could have his identity that only he earned, his righteousness, so that we would be called a child of God, a son or a daughter of the most high God. That's the gospel. And that's the only real foundation. That's the only real identity that you could actually build your life on that will stay stable and secure no matter what comes, no matter what rains come, no matter what floodwaters rise, no, what, no matter what problems, uh, you know, come into your life. That's what we need. That's what every single one of us needs. And so go ahead uh, to that next one if you would. 
What I want you to, to understand about that is that you'll only know what to do if you first know who you are. What God wants to do in Scripture is he wants to tell you, he doesn't want to just inform you, he wants to form you. He wants to tell you who you are. And that's so important because you'll only know what to do in your life if you first understand who you are in Christ. So a lot of us, though, when we have a transactional approach to the Bible, a lot of us, what we do is we have a situation in our life. We go, God, I, I, will you just tell me what to do? Just tell me what to do, God. And so we do this. Have you ever done this? We go, okay, God, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to open the Bible and just give me the answer. Tell me what to do. And we go, uh, right here. As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool to his folly, <laughs> right? I mean, that's, have you ever done that? It's just like, what? Why did I, what? That? So what I would tell you is God very rarely, when we go to the Bible looking for God to tell us what to do, he, I'm not saying he never tells you what to do or that he can't speak that way. Sometimes God does speak that way, but most of the time he doesn't. Most of the time God doesn't tell you what to do in situations of your life. But every time you open up the Bible and you meditate on scripture, he reminds you who you are who you are, what your true identity is in Christ. Because once you know who you are, you'll know what to do. What we need truly is not to be told what to do moment by moment in every situation of our lives. We need to be reminded who we are. Uh, my wife and I have four boys that are growing and, and uh, all of them are going to be now high school and above after now that we're out of school and um, our third son, Aaron, we, we discovered when he was very young that he had autism. And so as my wife and I, as, as a family, we were trying to, you know, understand what that meant and make adjustments and everything. I remember my older two boys, his, Aaron's older two brothers, uh, man, trying to grow up and help them understand all the changes that were happening in our family. I remember, uh, man, in our house growing up for our boys, you could say almost any swear word and get in less trouble than if you use the word retard or joined in making fun of a special needs person. That was a no-go in our house. That would get you in a huge amount of trouble. And so I, I remember with my older two boys, I remember them saying things like, come on, dad, mom, like, why can't I say that word? Why can't, I? my friends all say that word. Uh, my friends all make fun of, you know, this person or whatever. Like, why can't I do that? Is it because I have a brother with special needs? Is that why I can't do that? And so Carrie and I regularly, we said this all the time. I remember drilling into our older two boys. We would say, no, it's not because you have a, a brother with special needs. It's because you are a brother to someone with special needs. You see the difference between those two things? The difference is enormous. One of those things is just information. I have a brother with special needs. It's just data. It's just facts. It changes nothing. The other one is an identity. You are a brother to someone with special needs. Well, well, that's about me. Well, so it begs the question then, well, what kind of a brother am I? Am I the kind of brother that speaks up on behalf of those who sometimes can't speak up for themselves? Am I the kind of brother that joins in when the conversation goes into this place of mocking or making fun of those who, who have special needs? What kind, of, what kind of a brother am I? So we, we would drill this into them. We talked about identity all the time because we knew if they could understand this is who you are, you'll know what to do. You know, as a parent, you, you kind of like wonder, like, is this even getting through to my kids? Is they even, you know, is, I, is what I'm doing making a difference? Every single parent has felt that. Like, are they even listening? 
And as they've gotten older, you know, you get these little glimpses. Uh, this past week was our oldest son, Alan's 21st birthday. And so we had this party for him. We're at our house. Uh, everybody's gathered around. Friends and family were there. And so we do this thing. I've shared this with you before. At, at birthdays in our house, we do this thing. Before we have cake and ice cream, everybody in the family goes around, and even friends, if they're there, uh, get a chance to do this. And everybody goes around and says one thing that they appreciate about the person whose birthday it is. And so we're gathered around the table. Everybody's packed uh, around, and we're going around, and every family member is saying something about Alan. Like, you know, what I appreciate about Alan is how hardworking he is. You know, the next person I appreciate about Alan uh, is, is his sense of humor. Everybody goes around, and finally it gets to Aaron, our third son, Alan's younger brother. And he says, what I, he looks right at Alan, and he says, what I appreciate about you, Alan, is that you are my best friend. Now, that's a pretty good identity. That, to be bestowed that title only happens because years ago, he began to see himself as a brother first. Do you see it? Don't tell me what to do. I don't need to be told moment by moment in my life what to do, but every single day of my life, I need to be reminded who I am. And if I remind myself, if, I, if I'm reminded regularly who I am, I know what to do. So when I fail, when I make a mistake, I don't, I don't know about you, I don't fall for different temptations. I just fall for the same two or three over and over and over again. So when I mess up, when, it, when I'm beating myself up because I've messed up again or failed again, I need to be reminded. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You hear, that's me. I am those who are in Christ Jesus. That's me. That's who I am. When I am terrified about the future, I need to be reminded that God did not give me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. That's who I am. When I watch the news, I don't know about you, these last couple weeks, it, these are such dark times that we are living in right now. And I can turn on the news. I can, I can just come away with this sense of despair, this sense of like, what are we even doing as a church? Are we even making a difference in this world? Is what we're doing even matter? We need to be reminded in the times we're in. I'm just going to read this to you. This is 1 Peter 2, verse 9. It says, but you, talking about the church, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possessions, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's who we are. We are the church, and we are the group of people that stands. When the, when the floodwaters rise, when the rains come down, when the winds blow, we are built on a solid foundation, and we can talk about the one who called us out of the darkness into his wonderful light. That's us. That's who we are. God doesn't want to script out for you what you need to do. We talked about yes before how. All we need to do is say yes to who we are. We'll do the rest. You know who you are. You'll know what to do. With each one of these spiritual disciplines, um, 
we, we wanted to end every single sermon by giving some sort of a practical takeaway, some kind of a practical tool, a, a way of actually engaging this and doing this. So I want to give you, it's, it's not new. It's been around for a long time, but it's just a very, very simple acronym, a very simple way to practice this, to actually begin to meditate on God's word. And so it's called SOAP. That's the acronym is SOAP. It's really simple to, to remember. Uh, the first S stands for scripture. So, so you begin with a passage of scripture. Um, you Maybe you want to just use 1 Peter 2.9. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, the one we just looked at. But you start with a, a passage of scripture and then you let the Holy Spirit guide you as you read it again and again. You let him guide you to an observation. And this observation is not just sort of some random fact about something. It's an observation about who God is or who I am in Christ. The scripture observation, who God is, who I am in Christ. And then the A stands for application. Application is what am I going to do with that observation? Notice it's observation first, then application. Because if I know who I am, then I can know what to do. So it's observation, and then it's what am I going to do with that? And then the P, the final part, stands for prayer. You can write out a prayer. Sometimes that's even more effective if, you, if you're a journaler. The idea is meditation on God's word, driving deeply into the word of God, should always lead us to a deeper walk with him in prayer. It should lead to, to us communing with him, to coming before him as his child. We know who we are in him. We've meditated on that. It draws us deeper and closer to the Father in prayer. That's what we're invited to do. But the point is, you got to do it. Jesus says, what house are you, build, you, you know, what foundation are you building your house on? Jesus asks. There's only two foundations you can build on. So either you're building on sand or you're building on the rock. There's not three or four or five other options. There's just two options. What are you building your house on? I can't read your Bible for you. Some of these spiritual disciplines, I can't, I can pray for you. We talked about prayer last week. I can pray for you. I can do that. I can't read your Bible for you. I can't build your house on the foundation of the rock for you. You got to want that for yourself. You got to make that your pursuit. But I promise you, when you do, when you come to him, when you meditate on him, when you allow him every single day to remind you who he is and who you are in him, you'll know what to do. You'll know who you are. You'll know whose you are. And you'll know how to live. You won't be in this sense of identity and security anymore that the whole rest of our world lives in. And that, my friends, is true life. That's the life that Jesus came to offer. Will you pray with me? Jesus, so many times uh, we, we feel like almost intimidated, like the Bible. I don't know how to read the Bible. I don't know how to get something out of it. And this morning, we just thank you that your, your invitation to us isn't to come and be, you know, have some sort of special genius or knowledge or some ability. Uh, you say, just, just come to me. Come to me if you're weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Come to me sit with me. And so Jesus, as we meditate on your word, as we come to you, and as, as we meditate on the words of the Bible that point all of them, every single one of them to you as the rock we can build our lives on, would you strengthen us? Would you strengthen our identity in you? Would you strengthen who we are? And would you be the very one who leads us, who, the very one who guides us, God, in our lives, that it wouldn't be some heavy burden placed on us, 
It wouldn't be some transaction where we got to do something to get something out of it, but it would just be the first place we go to, the first place we, we turn to. Jesus, we thank you. You've already made the first move. You've revealed yourself by coming to this earth. You, you revealed yourself in your word. And so God, would you allow us to dwell deeply in that so that our lives can truly be found on you? That's what we want. In Jesus' name, everyone said. We hope this message encouraged you in seeing who God is and who you are in him. If you want to take a next step, visit frontlinegr.com forward slash connect. We look forward to connecting with you there and we'll see you back here next week.